Hey, hey, welcome to this week's edition of The Playbook. I'm Jason Thompson. You know, we have done 30-odd episodes over the course of the year. We have held more than 50 of the most fascinating interviews you could possibly imagine. We've, we've talked mental health. We've talked personal branding. And, you know, over the next couple of weeks, what we thought we'd do is we'd cluster some of the best, some of the all-star interviews that we've done over the year. This week, we are talking about, well, my favorite, communications, marketing. And you are going to hear about... How, how to tell great stories, how to fix your LinkedIn page, and you know how to connect with just about everyone. And we start kicking off this session with a uh, an episode where we talked with uh, speaker coach and superstar communicator Nick Kindler. Let's let's talk a little bit about leaderships and communications. Again, we're biased because we know how important the skill is, but you hear that that phrase a lot, right? Communication skills are really important, but it never gets unpacked. From your perspective, why? Why are communication skills so important for leaders to develop? Well, because I think that um, truly leadership is communication. Like it's just founded, grounded in communication. Um, Winston Churchill, who is probably one of the best orators who ever lived, one of the best, I'm not going to say he's the best, uh, there are lots of others, said that the difference between mere management and true leadership is communication. And I love that quote uh, because he really could, and he, he's a gentleman, uh, an individual who, I don't know if he was a gentleman, but he was an individual who truly took advantage of words and the power of words to um, change the course of history. Uh, and um, I think that we don't truly recognize the power of our words, the power of language to, to do exactly that. And I'm not saying we'll change the course of history, but we can certainly change the course of um, the trajectory of our businesses, the, uh, the, the um, way that things are, are operating in our families and in our communities just by how we communicate. You know, I love that idea of the the changing history. History has changed a lot of us over the last couple of years with the pandemic. But not only just the pandemic, we're seeing so many organizations taking this as an opportunity to look at what the future of real work is. I know I work with one organization that is literally finding a way for their 1,200 employees to be in the office three days a week and finding out how to make that infrastructure work. Mm. How do you find that leadership communication is changing alongside all of this drive towards hybrid work? So it's interesting, I, I, and I've been thinking about this a lot, just like everybody, like I'm not like the only person thinking about this, but I've been thinking about it a lot because actually my, my mindset shifted. I was a pretty heavy Zoom user pre-pandemic. Uh, I coached internationally, used Zoom. It was my, my uh, video conferencing tool of choice um, and still is to, for that matter. Um, but what I will say is that um, the, the pandemic, my mindset has shifted, almost done a, a 180. Like I, I actually found that um, I believed uh, about a year and a half ago, 18 months ago, that we could all do just fine virtually. And now I truly believe we must have an in-person connection. Um, and it came from a conversation I had with two CEOs. Um, and I'll share this briefly, uh, which is I was sitting down with them and one said, we're having the best year we've ever had, where productivity is up, engagement is up, profitability is up, 
Uh, we're doing fantastic. And we're going to close out our offices. No one's ever going to go back. This is just in fairness, a, a year ago. And then um, about uh, the other gentleman, another CEO, both in the tech sector, by the way, said, uh, I've got one more person I'm trying to get back into the office. And uh, everything needs to be done as soon as possible. I want to get people in the office ASAP. The reason I bring that up is what came out of that conversation was just two perspectives. And for me, I, I truly believe that the last, what we call the last 5% of creativity, of authentic communication will come when we are in person. You know, Jason, I can see you nodding your head and Jen, I can see you looking at the camera or nodding your head as well and now smiling. That's great. But what about the proximity, the, the, the feeling that we have when somebody's just not 100% getting it on a team or that opportunity for Jen to turn and go, you know what, this makes me think of, we should, we should, I was just chatting with Jason down the hall, we should get an idea that he should, let me bring him in. Can't do that on Zoom. I mean, you can, but it takes time. It's not easy to get to. We have to schedule our meetings. So this impromptu last 5% where we can really tap into this impromptu authentic communication, I think is what's going to be added when everyone goes back and we must have it as part of our workplace. I truly believe that. We were talking the other day that they just, you know, you're in control of the end meeting for all and it's like, bloop, bloop, and then there's no water cooler call. There's no walking down the, the hallway. There's no glass of wine over dinner saying, I understand what you said in the meeting, but how about this, right? So I'm personally looking forward to going back to back face to face. But when you're looking at communication skills for the leaders, what do you think is the number one thing that they're getting wrong when trying to get their message out in the, into their employees? Uh, the number one thing for me is a, probably a mindset that communication is easy, that it's, a, and it's something we can just wing. And uh, as I like to share in my, I think I might've put this into my book, I shared in my program, uh, the idea of uh, waiting in the wings <laughs> is actually for the understudy who's been waiting for a long time to and been practicing and rehearsing and following exactly what the main character or actor has been doing and gets the opportunity to be tapped on the shoulder. You can play that role tonight. And they've done a, if they're good, a huge amount of preparation. So winging it is this, not this idea of like, oh, I can step out and just communicate or run a meeting or share a PowerPoint deck or build it at the last second. It actually takes a huge amount uh, I'm gonna I'm gonna backtrack. It actually takes work. It doesn't necessarily have to be a huge amount of work. Uh, once you have the tools and techniques under your belt, once you start riding that bike, it becomes easier and easier. So it doesn't seem like that much work. But the preparation is vital. So Nick, one of the things we love doing is is looking at like peering inside the specific tactics and things that you can do. So when it comes to leaders, and I know I know the question I'm asking is really how long is a piece of string, but really, what are three of your kind of favorite things that you like to share with leaders in terms of improving their skills around communications? There's lots of tactics. There's lots of techniques. There's lots of systems and processes. And there's, uh, you know, I know you're a tech and a software guy, so I, or a, an appreciator of it. So I, well, I'm not going to go into those specifics. What I would say is there are principles that I believe are fundamental. That if you embrace them, all those tools and processes and systems and tech and, and techniques fall under them. 
And, and for me, the three, the three principles are simplification. Um, the world of work is ultra complex and the subject matter expertise of most individuals and in particular innovative leaders is extraordinarily complex. So we have to embrace the principle of simplicity, which means we have to be able to take messaging and using tools and techniques, break down that messaging into its component parts, which seems very structured and uh, inauthentic when you first start doing it, but it actually allows you to break through and, and through the clutter. So that's the first one. The second would be transforming. So now that we have this really uh, simplified um, messaging, how do we transform it using storytelling, using language and rhetorical devices, uh, emotional language that allows you to really uh, engage with your audience in a more uh, effective and deeper way. And then finally, the third is the principle of performance, and in particular, the mindset of performance, which is when I'm being interviewed right now, I'm on Zoom, uh, or if I'm about to jump into a, an update call, whatever it is, I'm on. Uh, and this isn't the actor in me. This is the mindset of performance, meaning we have to tap into this concept that we have a show to put on. Whether you feel it's um, the most important presentation or a minor presentation, the more you think about yourself as a performer, how you're setting yourself up, how you're positioning yourself, because you now have a script, right? You've got your content, which you've simplified, you've, got, you've transformed it using language, and now deliver it and deliver it like it's important. And so those three principles, simplify, transform, and perform, those are the things that I push for leaders to adopt every single time. Nick, I'll, I'll, I am willing to bet that you love talking about those three principles a lot. Where can we find more? <laughs> and tell us a little bit about your book. Um, well, I appreciate that. And, and um, I, I wrote a book uh, during COVID, uh, during the first four, three months of COVID, and then published it uh, in uh, April of this year. It's called, here it is, Impact, Simplify, Transform, and Perform Pitches and Presentations. Shocker, right? Simplify, transform, and perform. But those are the principles that I have uh, developed and embrace and, and encourage others to, to do as well. You can buy it on Amazon. You can go to impactbook.ca. Our thanks to Nick Kindler. You were awesome. We're going to head to break. When we come back, we are going to talk LinkedIn. And we're going to do that with probably the best LinkedIn coach in the entire world. Stay tuned. More from the playbook right after this. Welcome back to the playbook. We're on the all-star edition, and this is segment number two, where we fix your LinkedIn profile. For that, you want to know Judy Fox, probably the best LinkedIn coach that is out there. And we recently sat down with her to talk about how to make it all better. Why do you think there's such value in using LinkedIn as a tool to promote your personal brand or your company? 
Number one, it is no longer just a place for your resume. A lot of people used to think you only get on LinkedIn when you need to change jobs. Well, now we have the gig economy. We have the great resignation happening. We have jobs that are changing. The ability to side hustle or launch a podcast. The power of social media is there. And LinkedIn is social media now. It is growing with followers, not just who you know, and you only connect with a short list of people, you can grow an entire social media following and be just as successful as a LinkedIn influencer, as an Instagram influencer. It just has a different connotation. That's great. And, you know, I, I've already asked you this personally, but I think for our audience, it makes it's very beneficial to understand, should they be growing their own personal brand first? Or if they own a company, should they be focused on their company page or both at the same time? That's a great question. I would say the personal brand of every single person on LinkedIn is important. And here's why, even if you own the biggest company, we are interested in who is the CEO, who is the leader, who is even the CFO, who is behind this? Because it tells us a lot of things. Number one, it tells us what kind of values the company might contain because of the humans that run it. And we always want the human story and the human element. So if I think to myself, I'm going to research the top um, companies in a certain industry. And I end up wanting to find out who's running that company. What is the team of people running the company? And the other thing I've told you, Jen, is one of the top uh, website links that people click on is the who are we or about us. We, we just want to know other human beings. We don't really need all of the boring stuff. We want to trust because of the humans that we work with. That's really what it boils down to. That's a really interesting insight. You know, a lot of times I, I get challenged with writing biographies for, you know, like corporate bios and things like that. And I always say, you know, most corporate bios that I read are useless. All they do is tell me about where you went to university and how many years of experience and then, you know, kind of an avalanche of like corporate speak. What people want to know is who are you and what do you do for me? And what story shaped you to become the person you are today? Because we all have that moment. If I look at any of the authors, I'm looking at my bookshelf over there. But if I look at all the authors and why I bought their books, yes, they're giving me information, but it's sometimes the story for why that information was powerful to them. Maybe they uh, were, I have a book on what every body is saying and it's written by an FBI agent that retired and realized they could write a book about all the things they learned being an FBI agent. I was fascinated by the topic, but I also was fascinated by the personal story of somebody who literally was a past FBI agent. And I was interested in their stories plus the learning element. Have you ever seen that Michelle Rigby Assad? speak. She's a former uh, CIA. She's a great speaker wow. as well. I just saw her again last week, but uh, I just watched uh, Jason Space just grinning from ear to ear because he's all, he's like the consummate storyteller. And, you know, you've said that as LinkedIn, you're adding value through your posts and you're giving that authentic self. And I think right now, um, you know, we've spent a lot of time at home. We spent more time in a digital arena, but we're also still looking for that authentic connection with somebody else. So I think that's that's great advice for our listeners. Um, so can I 
of segue into, you know, what's your playbook? What, what are the, you know, tips and tricks that you do that you think that our um, audience can learn right away? I think the first tip and trick is to adjust your mindset about LinkedIn, because if you don't have the right mindset coming onto the platform, you could show up like a robot or not pull out your personal stories. So I hear the word LinkedIn's professional and immediately that causes people to get stuck. They all of a sudden are like, I must post professionally. And then they don't pull out a personal story or a personal anecdote to explain something to people. What I tell people is LinkedIn is leadership. Delete the word professional. Yes, I, it's a word that can serve us, but it doesn't completely unlock LinkedIn. So LinkedIn is leadership. And then when you start thinking about LinkedIn as leadership, think about the type of response you want to evoke from other people. So yes, you can say all your stories in the world, but if I listen to some of the top National Speakers Association winning stories that have been promoted across the years, and by the way, I've listened all the way back to the 70s to the top National Speakers Association winners. I don't know why, but I got those, those literally on cassette tapes and used to listen to them on repeat. There's always a impact they're trying to make on the listener. And a lot of times we get into our stories and we forget that try to write your post, write your story, put your bio out there, but think about what they're going to walk away with. And that can be humor. It can count as something to walk away with. A smile can be something that's valuable to people because people are struggling at work or they're overwhelmed and you can give them something from a post that is really, really simple because people see these simple posts on LinkedIn and are like, what? But it's actually giving people value to read something that does simplify one concept. So if you could take one thing from your industry right now and teach one micro point to somebody that could be very valuable to people on LinkedIn. Great advice. Um, and I think that's um, it. I just unlocked LinkedIn for everyone. <laughs> I love that it's leadership. And, um, and I think too, that, um, people get intimidated with like, I have to write the perfect post or I have to sound smart every time I post, but I am seeing that, that personal more, like I was, I was telling you my most popular post so far has been me talking about going for mental health walks every morning. Um, but that resonated with people because, you know, there's always the, this hotel is opening or this is happening or attend this webinar or, and, you know, sometimes if there's too much of that, I think you would agree it becomes just too spammy out there. Cause all you're doing is sell, 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 sell. So what, what other common mistakes do people make on LinkedIn? They risk decreasing trust. So kind of, we've kind of talked about that idea of your social capital. So this idea that hey, let's connect. We think of LinkedIn as a way to connect and network and connect each other. But I truly would not recommend a human being that I do not know. I can't. I cannot tell you, thank you for connecting. Let me know who I can network you with because I don't know you. We just met five seconds ago. So I cannot authentically say, oh yeah, you should meet Jason. You'd be great. Like, Jason would look at me and be like, what are you talking about, Judy? You met them five seconds ago. How can you truly say you two need to connect? I don't know. Maybe I know Jason really well, but I don't know this other person. 
that would decrease my trust with Jason. Jason would look at me and start to go, mm, Judy keeps sending me some weird connections. <laughs> so we kind of want to think through that concept of how quickly we open up our doors to saying, let me know how I can help you. Let me know how uh, we can work together because we're kind of presenting that too soon. And we actually have to create a little bit of trust back and forth on LinkedIn. And I love going over that. Like, how do you build trust? And one of the fastest ways to build trust is to maintain some public comments back and forth because people then see micro moments lead to macro trust. So they might see a micro moment of me and Jen talking in the comments. She makes a comment on my post. I make a comment on her post. Both of our audience see our conversation. And then they go, huh, Jen's interesting. Judy's interesting. They know each other. Maybe there's some reason why if she, Judy was on Jen's show, maybe I should ask Judy here or vice versa, Judy and Jen. I'm just saying a lot of Jen's and Judy's right now, but we want to interact with people that we see a little bit of interaction to be able to create more trust because that initial let's connect let me know how I can help you and connect. It's so, it's too much for people on LinkedIn. That's so great. I just, I'm all I'm thinking about the entire time is I'm LinkedIn-ing the wrong way. No, I've been telling you that. <laughs> yes, you have. And it, and it says a lot to actually hold that door back. It actually extends a sense of, oh, I have to earn trust with this person. And there's nothing wrong with kind of letting people know you have different layers to getting into working together or creating a relationship that can lead to referrals. How can I refer a business if I know nothing about the people, the owners, the history, and I just met you five seconds ago? Can't refer you. No offense. Yeah. <laughs> Great advice. And thank you so much for, um, making it so simple for, for our audience to, and then practical advice, but Never mind where can they for your hosts? Thanks yeah, for well, so similar your hosts. <laughs> um, uh, where can they find more about you and learn from you? Let's hang out on LinkedIn. Uh, <laughs> I am J-U-D-I-F-O-X across all social media. You can search Judy Fox. And yeah, I am really active on LinkedIn. My favorite thing is to tell you to put in the search bar on LinkedIn, hashtag Fox Rocks. We are going to head to the break when we come back storytelling with L. Quang, you are listening to The Playbook on Saga 960. Welcome back to The Playbook. This is the all-star edition. We're talking communications. We're talking marketing. And this time around, we are talking storytelling. You know, Jen had the chance to interview Elle Quang from Singapore, and she started with the question of why storytelling was so important. We're going to pick it up from there. Um, for me, I think when I look at why storytelling um, is is important as a medium, I I... I, I, I I think about, you know, when I was young and um, I had a hard time um, learning because uh, I, I could not focus. So what my mom, which is so 
brilliant. Uh, she's so brilliant. What she did was to tell me different stories so that I could actually absorb and start to learn some of the things that,、um, in school as well as in life. So, so for so for. I beg your pardon. So, from a very young age, I knew that storytelling is important. Even though at back then nobody has the vocabulary of that, you know, as 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 um、uh, as the way we see storytelling now. So, storytelling is important because I think we were born to tell and listen to story, or even watch stories on TV. So, that journey of storytelling literally means that that journey of bring someone with us. Um, as as we are trying to convey a message, I think I think it's exactly you know both you and I work in the incentive travel industry and it's creating those memories and through storytelling you, you're you're making it memorable you're creating those memories so you know when you look back what do you think makes up a great story? I, I think、um, great story has three three main parts. Um, you know the the beginning, the middle part, and then the end part that comes with a lesson to be learned. So I find that as long as the story is very succinct, just very similarly like what I did earlier by starting by telling you a story、uh, that is within one or two minutes to understand. Uh, and to test the sound bites of whether you are coming along with that journey. If not, I have to really amend it. So, so the messaging has to be really, really clear to to really make a great story. I think that's. I mean, that's so relevant. Where you said, you know, you're talking about the story about your mom and and why you think storytelling is important, which then gives your audience. Uh, or the person that you're, say, you're using in an interview scenario, because there's so many, you know, people out there looking for jobs right now. If you're telling a story when you're explaining the answer to a question, it allows that person to also say, so, you know, L, tell me a story that your mom said to you, right? It, it opens up the avenue of conversation. Yeah, totally. And I think making it personable is so important, especially nowadays where we're going through COVID.、Uh, people are more alert to listening to personal stories and the impact of that personal stories. But I also find that personal stories allow the listener、uh, to get to know you better. I think telling a story to someone that or an audience that already know you that is quite. Easy because you can really progress、uh, with the different levels of stories or, or different parts of that journey of that storytelling. But I think we should always approach storytelling from a from an attitude where we don't know the audience at all. So we have to make it clearer, we have to make it simpler, and we have to make it shorter. And when you're doing those stories, I mean, I'm assuming that you're also looking at the audience to see what what they might relate to as well. Yeah, totally. I think tailoring to the audience. Uh, and their needs、um, is very important because if I'm the storyteller, other than it's not really about telling story about me, unless the the whole interview or, or, or everything around that that experience is really they they are here to listen to my life story. But other than that, if we are a service provider. Uh, we have to don on the attitude of we're there to solve a problem, so we can work backwards. So knowing what the problem is, how we're going to solve it, what is the easy message to transmit, and then from there we work backwards and build that story. Will be a very succinct way of approach and a strategic way to approach、um, achieving the outcome. I think you touched upon something really. I mean, make it relevant, make it succinct, make it relatable to the audience. 
we're not saying use a story to replace the corny joke that you would have hit off on your first speech or toast or whatever, right? We're actually saying this is a way to show your authentic side, create a memory memory with your audience or your, you know, within the interview or even to get communicate to your kids a relevant lesson, right? So now you're a marketer. How do you use storytelling to convey a message? Because you work with destinations and different um, provi- service providers in the events industry. How do you use that? I mean, I have so many examples of from knowing you so long between your uh, women of influence and um, the stories that you've shared with them there, but you've always focused it on a message. Yeah, thank you, Jen. Um, I feel that um, all destinations have their own unique selling point. Of course, all destinations who are sort of like wanting to welcome international tourists or visitors or business people, they will have hotels, they will have convention centers, they will have, they most probably will have a zoo and so forth. So, so we try not to state the obvious. In fact, we try not to state anything that can be found on the website. So, so you, you quickly want to zoom into that unique selling point and, and tell the story of why it's so relevant to the current state of mind of our audience. So for example, if I were to look at a, a destination like Sarawak, where many people may not have been to, um, so if one, if whoever that goes on the internet and look at Sarawak, they will realize that, oh my God, um, you know, they are not a very modern city and, and so forth. So, but they never claim to be a modern city. But what, what they're really good at is their tribe spirit. They, they have very long historical uh, 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 way of, of living and that we can really learn life lessons of it. So if you come into, if you combine that with the current um, mindset of, oh my God, it's too, I'm, I'm overloaded with information. I need to free up think space. If you combine that, that is a very good way of using storytelling to connect travelers or pretend potential travelers to a destination that they may consider visiting um, after you told that story. There's so many good examples of that. I don't know if you saw the post recently on LinkedIn with the, um, the Switzerland tourism with them. Oh uh, my God. It was so good because they're not, they're not just telling you what's there. They're incorporating into something that's, that's memorable and funny. Yeah, totally. And I think that the art to storytelling is one needs to, um, first of all, really structure it in a way uh, in the simplest form. So we, we like to keep through, uh, keep to the three things. What are the three important key messages or the three things that you can really tell people? So for example, at the moment, there's a lot of focus around mindfulness. So the so we keep to the three key attributes of mindfulness and use that. So the three key attributes of mindfulness is intention in terms of how we want to show up uh, in that presentation, the attention where you want to place your attention. Because many a times we might have a good story or messaging, but because of perhaps our lack of confidence or when we work in walk into a powerhouse, our inferiority complex starts to kick in and 
straight away we become uh, we went into a disclaimer mode like oh sorry I'm not experienced oh sorry I may not be like this oh I'm sorry I'm still like this so that becomes a distraction so we want to bring it back to the attention of where you want to place the, the your attention that really matters the last thing which is most important is to really make sure that we are very clear with the attitude that we want to uh Trans, uh, we want to share that message. Is it with the attitude of kindness? Is it with the attitude of curiosity, a non-judgment, forgiveness? Because that really augments the way we transmit that message. So keeping to really simple tools like this, we really help you plan out uh, better storytelling techniques. That's great advice, Al. And so we've shown the value of storytelling. We've talked about you know, how you can tell a story, but what, you know, where do you see storytelling being used? I mean, we've talked about the interview, we've talked about it in a marketing message, but where else could storytelling help our audience? We can always apply storytelling in most parts of our communication uh, channels. But I think it's really about timing. I think where we apply storytelling, when we realize that when we say a certain point and then visually uh, we can see that people are not really grabbing the idea and then you expand on that point if it's going to be so crucial to to that part of the messaging through a storytelling so one has to be quite prepared but not over engineer it's not going to be the greatest story so for example my story about how my mom helped me learn it's not gonna, it's not a rocket science kind of story but it's most is mostly going to be quite relatable to parents out there who may have children that has um that have learning um, uh, um challenges brilliantly said l always as usual so tell us our audience where if they want to learn more about l where they can find you uh certainly you're more than welcome to visit um, my website uh is is beam as in b-a-m experience dot live as in l-i-f-e and uh, we have lots of content on there um, that you can really uh, use is is free and um, that hopefully you're able to shift one uh, percent of your mindset to something that you're really proud of. Thank you to Al Quang. When we come back, we are going to talk to one of the country's very best keynote speakers. Stay tuned with more from the playbook right after the break. Welcome back to The Playbook. This is the all-star session. We have been talking about LinkedIn profiles, communications, marketing. And I got to tell you, with this interview, I chased this interview for a long time because I'm a huge fan of Ron Tights. And he absolutely delivered in helping us understand really the way that communications are changing. Actually inspired me to write a little book. We'll talk about that more next year. For now, here is Ron Tite. You're a big proponent of really focusing on good stories, good messaging. I, you know, when, when the pandemic hit, one of the first things I did, there was, everybody was clamoring on the tech, right? right. What am I doing for the tech? What am I doing for the tech? I was very different. And I was like, what am I doing for the content? I mean, 
So you've heard some of them. Some of my best, you know, flagship stories are about hotels and airlines. <laughs> and, and I thought, I, I can't do that. That's so irrelevant to people right now, even though the, it wasn't about the travel of the hotels, but something else. But I thought, I got to throw it all out. I started there knowing that the tech would get there and I would catch up on that. But um, I think too many people focused on their tech and said, I'll just do what I've always done, but just using Ecamm Live or something. Um, whereas I was like, mm, no, I need to. So within two weeks, I had a new new speech. Speaking of content, you know, one of the best things you can do is check out Ron on, on LinkedIn because he consistently posts really perspectives and thoughts on what's happening with communication advertising in the world. And, and it all, I got to tell you, I've never seen anybody generate engagement the way that you generate engagement. A lot of that's about trust, isn't it? Like, I know you talk a lot on how kind of brands and yourself can kind of develop trust. I think they just, they can look forward to the content because they know there's going to be no pitch slapping or, or if there is, then I'm going to declare it. So there was a, I, I did the closing keynote for the National Speakers Association in the US. And the, the point I started off with was that the democratization of content does not mean the democratization of credibility. And that there's, you know, to this group room full of speakers, I said, but who here isn't a best-selling author? Who isn't? Everybody is. Everybody is. And so we collectively pursued ways, or we've individually pursued ways of enhancing our personal credibility by saying, I was elected this speaker, or this top 100, you know, like all those things by a random blog. And we, but we've collectively destroyed it because now the, the term best-selling author doesn't mean anything to anybody. And I, and thank you for, you know, it's in my bio, like, of course, and I sure. fully declare that it's there, it's true, but it doesn't mean what it used to. And so I think by declaring that stuff and just having a, an honest perspective on what you do, I think people appreciate that. And I think, and it's not just in content, you know, the, one of the, the very, very first client I got when I started my agency, the first big client I want, I want on a retainer base. I got it because another client told them, I don't know what Ron's doing, but you can trust him. Like he's not going to hose you. He's not going to lie. Like he's just so. It's like I vouching. Think, it's, it's like the old vouching system. Bob has. <laughs> yeah. So I think the content that you share and how you share that content says a lot about who you are and the integrity right. that you have. So I, I work hard at that. I don't always get it right, but I hopefully I'm honest about, you know, acknowledging when I don't. And for entrepreneurs, like the, the flip side of that, and you talked a little bit about that eroding of trust is, you know, what kinds of things, you know, do you see out there that are actually not authentic, not honest, not creating trust that they can take away as a, a bit of an example? I think that there are so many entrepreneurs who are gaming the system. They've grown up as, you know, if they're younger, they've grown up as digital natives and they know that there's an algorithm and they know that you can do things to manipulate the algorithm and that they can, you know, enhance their, you know, the, the number of leads into their sales funnel, blah, blah, blah. And I think that's such a short-term game. It's just such a short-term thinking that build the business, like build the business. Don't build your funnel. Don't gain the algorithm, build the business build the trust in the product, build the trust in your leadership, stop gaming the system. And, you know, because um, I think that all that does, if you combine the gaming the system with that, you know, 
um, democratization of credibility, it just raises expectations of what you're actually going to deliver. And the truth is the business isn't old enough or mature enough to deliver the things that you're promising. You just, you're just, you're going to, you're going to affect your own eventual performance. So I think stop gaming the system, you know, building the business as an entrepreneur, it, doing it is really tricky and is a really difficult skill, but intellectually it's not rocket science. Right. It really it isn't. It's interesting because you know I I publish a lot of content, infographics and uh, and and like little videos and things like that, and it really is to help enable people to have better conversations. But where I'm hitting the wall at this stage is I feel like I've got all good stuff out there, but I'm not expanding my audience. So I'm trying to figure out how to do that in a way that again it doesn't feel like I'm gaming the system. Well, you know what's a good a good tip for that is to look at. I find um, that some people get so focused on the content that they deliver, right? That they, they really want to stay in that sweet spot. And they forget that there are other things that they're interested in. Right. And there's metaphors in their life. So one of the things I just shared um, yesterday, I think, um, was that on Sunday night, I donated to a guy named Rick Beato, who has a music channel on YouTube. He's If you're into music, you really need to follow Rick Beato. He is the best content generator of amazing content about music. And so I love him and I love his content. It's not about business, it's about music, but there is a business lesson in that. And so I'm always looking for what are the things that interest me and what is the business lesson that I can take from that and share with people? Because it's just creating the metaphor. You should follow Lady Gaga because of that, you know? And so you end up opening up your audience because now I've got a bunch of people who are music lovers we're going, oh, this guy made a connection between Rick Beato. So now I've opened myself up to that. Not consciously, I'm not looking sure. for music followers. But um, I think when you do that, when you expand your own or apply your own expanded diverse interests, which you have many, when you can apply that to your business content, now it becomes more interesting and you start to diversify your audience. You know, connected to that, because there's that whole purpose statement that everybody loves talking about the why, why, why. And this is my, my kind of, easing into the your great book you know you, you talk about purpose being an important part and it, it does seem to ladder up to really what it is that you just talked about do you want to just kind of talk a little bit about purpose and why that's so valuable these days yeah it, um so purpose is you know it's it's getting to be a little bit of a buzzword and i think yeah. it means something to me that does not mean to other people so one purpose is not about the latest social issue cause Purpose is not about attaching your brand or your or your beliefs to, you know, a, a social justice or the environment or things like that. Um, those are all important issues that corporations need to and brands need to have a perspective on. But it's not corporate purpose, because the corporate purpose has to be related to the thing that you sell, where you make your money from. So when we work with clients, we we use the word so, which is if you believe this you should be able to connect that with so to what you do, what we call the essential do. You know what? So Jason, to use you an example, um, you believe, your purpose, you believe that people should have important conversations. So you inform and inspire people on how to have those conversations. So that's your purpose connected to exactly what you do. That makes sense. I think my brain so just exploded. <laughs> that's a great tip. Sorry, keep going. Yeah, so it's just the word so. And that's how you check is like, is this strategically relevant? So why it's really important to have that be that belief is to the Simon Sinek fans that, you know, why you do what you do. 
one is there's peer pressure because, hey, this is where the private sector is going. That we know, you know, if you look at the business roundtable that said, you know, the, the definition of corporate purpose, there's not one constituent, the shareholder. It's not longer just about shareholder value. You have five constituents. You have your employees, you have your customers, you have your partners, you have uh, uh, your shareholders, and you have the community in which you operate. So pressure's on to expand that. That's one. Second thing is that it allows you to cut through. It's more memorable that you you have a, a, a soul to the things that you talk about instead of just cutting to products and speeds and feeds and configs and price points and things like that. So it allows you to cut through, makes you more interesting. But when you look at innovation, it gives you uh, the, the ability to diversify your portfolio of products or services or revenue, while at the same time being staying focused on your same purpose. So here's what I mean by that. a great example by that. Lady Gaga does not believe that she should be the best musician in the world. When she was asked by, um, oh, what's his name? Anderson Cooper. What do you fundamentally believe in? Like, what is your, what is your purpose? She said, I believe that people should be free to express themselves. That's, that's the brand belief. That's the purpose. Right. So what does she do to reinforce that belief? Well, she expands and, and she expresses herself in a wide variety of different ways. Now, when the pandemic hit and she lost all her concert revenue, what did she do? She started a makeup line. The lead line for the, and that may seem like random product innovation that she's just trying to sell herself out for get more money. It's incredibly focused because the lead line when she launched it was our house, your rules, which is just another way to say people should be free to express themselves. So she used that purpose. I don't know if whether she did it consciously or not, but I think she used the purpose to both stay focused, but also expand um, what she did and, and where she made her money. So that I think when you combine all those things, it's like this is the that's step one. Huge shout out to Ron Tite. That episode actually went on for another segment of interview. That's episode 20 if you want to listen to it back. And if you want to find Ron Tite, he's at rontite.com. Books, bookings, all sorts of great stuff. Meanwhile, thank you so much to everybody who talked to us about communications and marketing and storytelling this year. It makes a difference. It makes a huge difference. And this all-star pack, we're going to continue this next week. Jenna's going to share four of her favorite interviews. In the meantime, if you want to come and find more about us, hashtag Jen Glynn. She's on LinkedIn. Hashtag SpeakUpGetResults. That's SpeakUpGetResults.com. And that is is me and that's going to do it for this edition of the playbook see you next week